I'm Pastor Darius, and I have the privilege of teaching today with Pastor Russell as well as Pastor Jim. Um, one of the things that we as pastors do have is the weight of carrying you guys on our hearts. That is our calling. And so to stand here before you, toiled and rightfully dividing God's word, it did not come at a small price without heartbreak because as well as is applicable to you, it is very much applicable to us who teach it. And what you guys are feasting on are just merely the crumbs from the bounty and the, of, the, of the feast that we had in preparing for it. So I pray you are blessed and let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for you, for your word. We know that it came at a great cost, but a greater cost was the fact that you sacrificed your son so that you may have us in this place. And Father, we continue our worship of you through the study of your word. Would you allow it to transform our lives? Would you allow it to change us, Father? Father, we come before you now in awe and reverence, knowing that every word uttered from this pulpit is a heartbeat of yours. Father, we love you and we praise you and all God's people said, amen. So if you do not have a Bible, please raise your hand and we will give you one. And if you don't have one at all, we will allow you to keep it. We won't take it back from you. And this light is very bright. I feel like, you know, the, the first night when Jesus came and the angel, I was like, what? Um, so if, in case you want to get prepared, we are going to be in Jeremiah chapter 6. A little bit of a deviation from where Pastor Ted was. I think last week we were in Matthew. We're in Jeremiah 6. And if you look at the book of Jeremiah, it is kind of a dark book. It is, it is very solemn and very... Very heartbreaking, and uh, Jeremiah is often referred to as the weeping prophet, and I, though not a prophet, I do relate to the weeping part of that, as you who know me, yes, <laughs> who know me know that. And the first few chapters of Jeremiah's ministry is a long prophetic sermon that rebukes against Israel's willful disobedience of God, and Jeremiah remains faithful to his calling from God. And sadly, what had happened is Israel had forgotten the glory of their past and remembering the fact that God himself called them his people. All that had become eclipsed by their deliberate lifestyle of immorality and sin. Now, here's the sad part. Not only had the people forgotten whose they were, but their priests and prophets deserted their calling as well. Instead of awakening and provoking the people to a heart of repentance, they used smooth words to comfort the people. They used smooth words to calm the people and saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. And here you have Jeremiah, on the other hand, going, repent, because there is destruction at hand, judgment is at hand, so you see the offset on both parts. The prophets and priests who had turned away from their calling were putting band-aids on bullet wounds. And Jeremiah is like, turn your heart back to God. So he warned them of approaching judgment that if they didn't turn their hearts back to the Lord, there would be consequences. That wasn't enough. He continued to speak of the destruction of the nation and predicted the fall of Jerusalem. He warned the people of approaching oppression, violence, and the deterioration of their own land, all because of their unholy living and spiritual decay. 
Still no one listened. We can wonder to ourselves, how can the Lord, whom the winds and waves obey, have a people who are so disobedient and purposely defiant to him? Makes you kind of wonder, right? Now, Jerusalem had forgotten what God had delivered them from and failed to remember the hope that is theirs. It's kind of ridiculous if you think about it because God gave them a covenant through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob for the blessing of the nation and his people. He gave Moses the law and David promises that if they continued to live a life in obedience to righteous paths, they would have rest for their souls. It was these roads that God fortified his blessings for his people and they were tried and tested. They were fail-safe. Instead, they preferred the pagan practices of the surrounding nations and refused to return to the ways of righteous living. Now, it's easy for us now to sit here in church and kind of criticize their foolishness, right? We can sit here and go, dumb. And we can sit here and shake our heads and scoff at their attitude. We could do that, but we could also take this time to reflect, to reflect and stand and look at ourselves as God's people and truly evaluate, Christian, where are you? Let's consider our ways to see if we're obeying the instructions that we've received and are waking and walking in the spirit. Have we chosen to walk in his righteous way and fulfill his instructions as a church? Have we walked in the old ways that stands on the word of truth and leads us in the way of holiness? Or have we bought into a watered-down doctrine and a compromised faith because we've adopted worldly philosophies or engaged in fleshly behavior? Have we dishonored our Lord through our unbelief and our disobedience to him? You see, our God is a God of forgiveness. He's a God of grace. He's a God of correction. He's a God of second, third, fourth chances. Judah had a choice just as we now have a choice. Literally, we are one choice away from living a godlier life. And this is where we find ourselves in Jeremiah chapter 6, verses 16 through 17. Let's read it. Thus says the Lord, stand in the ways and see and ask for the old paths where the good way is, and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. Also, I set watchmen over you saying, listen to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, no, we will not listen. I had the privilege of covering the first part of this because it's the more encouraging part. <laughs> the last two have a harder part because it's the uh part. So... Sorry, guys. Um, so in the very beginning, it says, thus says the Lord. First, recognize the word the Lord says. I love that. In that in their rebellious state, God doesn't turn his back, doesn't turn away, doesn't fold his arms and say, nope, too late, too much, too many times. But he chooses to lean in and speak through Jeremiah See, I love it because it shows that he is relational, that he has not given up, 
that he is literally desiring for us to turn back. He invites us to ask. He directs us to look and encourages us to walk. He still does that today. The word says is a declarative command. It's very much so as parents when we say, clean your room. It ain't a choice. It's a what? It's a command. And when a command is given by God, it ought to be what? Done, right? And so when he says the word says, it's literally saying, ooh, that was hard. It's literally saying, I'm gonna say something and it's gonna be very important and you ought to do it. So this is what I love. In John 10, 27, it says this, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Do you hear his voice? See, when we ask God to show up, when we cry to him with all our heart, he comes. When we ask God something, he answers. Now, it might not be in the way that we want or the way that we like, but he is faithful to answer. He's not a God who hides. He reveals himself in so, so many ways. But do we see him? Do we hear him? You see, there may be many reasons why we don't hear what he is saying. Number one, we may not hear what he is saying because we're not listening. Number two, we are duped into believing that we don't hear God's voice. Other people may, but I don't. And lastly, we are disobedient to what he tells us. Those are reasons why we may not hear. Luke 6, 46 says this, but why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? Family, maybe the reason why you can't hear what the Lord is saying is because you're too busy or you're deafened by what someone else is saying. Or better yet, you're too preoccupied with your own voice. I pray today that we would sit and still hear his voice for Christ still speaks as he has before. Jeremiah continues to say, stand, stand in the ways and see. When God says, stand in the ways and see, what does he mean, right? He means that you should not go rushing headlong through life. Stand still and consider. I don't know about you, but for me, I'm going 90 miles a second. Who, those of you who know me, know. <laughs> okay, you didn't have to giggle. Um, but those of you who know me know that I'm going this way, that way, trying this and trying that and, and, and testing this and testing that. And the Lord is saying, stop. Stand still and consider. Stand up, to stand still is to be in a stance in which the body is vertical and straight, not hunched over and downtrodden, but the meaning of standing is with a focus of presenting yourself for service. It's standing, presenting yourself as an offering to God. The word stand here implies strength. We don't fall down in the ways, we stand in them. And the only way we can stand is in the strength of the Lord, amen? We can't stand in our own strength. Because if we could, we wouldn't need a savior. We have to stand in his strength on his gospel, on his truth, not on ours. We have to stand strong in the Lord no matter what has transpired us. Scriptures often refer to the word stand in this sense. 
Ephesians 6, 10 through 14. You can turn to that, or if you want, you can read it on the screen. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against the flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And he goes on to describe the whole armor of God. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1 through 2 says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. And what would be a Sunday message if I didn't exhort the men, the husbands, and the fathers? 1 Corinthians 16, 13 says, Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, Act like men, be strong. All this strength and standing cannot be done through your might. It can only be done abided in Christ, amen? The catch is this. What are you standing on? Or better yet, what are you falling for? He goes on to say, stand in the ways and see or look, depending on the version that you're reading. To look, we all can relate to that. To look means to perceive with attention, to direct your gaze towards something. It means to use sight to view objects and make a judgment based on what you see, right? That's what it means to look. But what he's saying is, look and see. Look and see where you will go, as well as look and see where you have been. Consider not only the choice of roads ahead, but also importantly, look back at the way which you have come. You see, you need to look at where you're at and how God has thus far dealt with you in his faithfulness. Brothers and sisters, we don't stand where we're at because of what we've done. We stand where we're at because of what's been done. It's because of what Jesus has done. It's the cross, right? That's why we can stand where we stand. See God's faithfulness. You know, in scripture, it mentions Ebenezer stones. It's in the book of Samuel. When Samuel helped the Israelites overcome the Philistines, he took time to stop and reflect on how God had helped him. He built a monument from a stone and called it Ebenezer which means by God's help, we have come this far. It's through God's faithfulness that you have come this far. Are you looking at these stones? Are you laying them down as a legacy? Are you reflecting back on God's goodness as to why you are here and who placed you here? You know, a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Ted preached from the book of John, chapter 9, when he um, talked about the blind man who was blind from birth. And Jesus 
came to this man. This man had never seen or heard of Jesus, but Jesus came to him. And with his spittle and dirt, he formulated clay and placed it on his eyes, and he began to see. And then the Pharisees, who were so opposed to this, called him into the courts and said, what happened? How did he do that? And he's like, I don't know. But the one thing I do know is John 9, 25. And he says that one thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. That's us. Psalm 34, verse 8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. If you are going to take refuge in someone, you should be looking at them. The tricky thing about seeing and looking is that you can't be blind, or should I say you can't be blinded. Unfortunately, there are things in our lives that blind us, that keep us from looking and seeing. I have a son who is infamous for losing things, and in his scurry of trying to find it, it could be right there before his eyes. Anyone can relate to this? It's like, I don't see it. I'm looking. I don't see it. I, Dad, I don't. And it's right there. And Emily and I are sitting there going, give it time. He'll find it. What's the reason he can't see it? Because he ain't looking. You can't see what you ain't looking at. Are you looking at Christ? Or are you too busy looking at things, looking at life, looking at the past, looking at what hurts? The only thing that will keep you from looking at the right paths is what you're blinded by. Brothers and sisters, we are required to be faithful to our calling, to walk in spirit and truth as outlined by the word of God. We are called to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and we are called to mature in the faith that we have been taught. I pray that we take our responsibility as blood-bought children of God seriously to die to self and boldly proclaim sincerely and truly, not my will, but your will be done. Not my ways, but yours, O oh Lord. I pray that we would walk in the right paths, that we would take the time to stand and see him. Next, Pastor Russell. Man, thanks, Pastor Darius. See if I can get all this technology turned on here. Good morning, Reliance Church. Hey, so we're going to continue in Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16. He says, ask for the old paths where the good way is and walk in it. A couple of things to note right off the bat. You know, Jeremiah, he's delivering this message from God, right? But who's he delivering it to? We know that he's delivering it to the people in Jerusalem, which consists, uh, it is the kingdom, the southern kingdom of Judah, and the southern kingdom of Judah consists of the tribe of Judah, shocker, I know, and also Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin. And Jeremiah was a Benjamite. Okay, so he is delivering this pretty harsh message to his own people. He's delivering this message of 
the coming judgment to those who are close to him. You know, it's, it's a little easier to deliver uh, a message to your enemies of judgment, right? To tell them that, hey, God's going to judge you, and here's a list of all of your sins. Here's a list of everything you've done wrong. But it's something completely different to have to say the tough stuff to those close to you, isn't it? And that's where Jeremiah is at. Proverbs 27, 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. And so as Pastor Darius pointed out, the people were to stand and see. They were to stand still and consider. They were to consider where they had been, the path that they had been on before, the path that they were on right now, and where that path was taking them. They had some thinking to do. They had some things to consider. But now God gives them instruction. They may have been in a bad place, not the best place, but God was still offering wisdom to them. He was giving them a chance. And so he says, ask for the old paths. God is telling them to look to their history. He's saying, look to your forefathers, those who have gone before you. Consider what they've done and learn from God. Learn from what God has done in and through them before. Remember, these are the people who they belong to the heritage of Moses, and so they're being urged to follow the Mosaic traditions. They're being urged to observe these old ways. Why? Because in this situation, the old way is the best way. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Right? Sometimes old school is the best way. Amen. And um, that is proven time and time again throughout history. Uh, in 1866, there was a, uh, the introduction of the steam drill to the railroads, right? During the second phase of the Industrial Revolution, they uh, introduced the steam drill. And during this time, there was a man by the name of John Henry who was working on the railroads in West Virginia, and John Henry, though there are some exaggerated stories about him, some are more exaggerated than others, the fact is he was a real man. He was known for his hard work. He was known for his strength, his dedication, his grit, his ability to get the job done. And so you can imagine when this steam drill comes to threaten his job, to threaten his hard work, he stands up and he says, I'm going to challenge this thing. I'm going to take this thing on, and I guarantee you that I can outwork this machine. And it's important to know that John Henry was a former slave. He was an African-American slave, and he swore that he would never let anything or anyone beat him again. And so on that day when he challenged the steam drill, by hand, John Henry bore a 14-foot hole in the side of this mountain in the same amount of time that this steam drill was only able to accomplish a nine-foot hole. 
they had to turn this thing and, and readjust it and all this. And, and John is just plugging away. Old school comes out on top. And sometimes old school is the best way, especially when it comes to getting right with God. A fear of God, having a reverence for him, a love of God, repentance and reconciliation has always been God's way. There's only been two ways to go. It's always been the same. You've either got the religion of fig leaves or animal skins. You've either got man trying to cover his own sin or you've got God providing the covering for sin. A fear of God, a love of God, repentance and reconciliation, it's always been God's way. The difference for those before Christ is that they were applying faith by looking forward to the coming of their Messiah. And for us, on this side of the cross, we apply faith by looking back and seeing our Messiah on the cross, seeing him be the one who takes away our sin, for Jesus being the atoning sacrifice for us. And for all of mankind, Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. And so concerning the old paths, the Mosaic tradition, it would have brought to remembrance the ways of their forefathers who they were never perfect, but you know, when they sinned, they had developed a pattern of, of repentance, keeping a short account with God. It's where they would come to him and they would agree with God about their sin and then they made sacrifices according to the law. Remember what Pastor Ted said recently about repentance. It is simply agreeing with God about our sin and then not just turning from it, but turning to Jesus, turning to the author and finisher of our faith. See, the Bible says that there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is death. Right? There's a way that seems right to people. It often seems right. Their path seems fine, and they wonder why God or anyone else would ever have a different opinion. Guzik said the issue then is how deceptive evil is. It might promise and deliver happiness, power, and the good life, but it cannot sustain what it gives. Its end is the way of death. Though it seems right, it isn't right. It leads to death. And Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so when God is speaking through Jeremiah for the people to ask for the old paths, to be a people who have a reverence for God, a fear of God, repenting and then being reconciled to God, he's really pointing to Jesus. All of these things are pointing to Jesus, that God himself would actually be the one to come and take away the sins of the world. 
knowing that this is love. This is real love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. And so the people are presented with the old way, the good way, and now God says, walk in it. It's one thing to recognize the truth, but it is something completely different to take action because of truth. So Jeremiah tells them to walk in it, and he says, if you do, then you will find rest for your souls. The opportunity is before them to have rest for their souls. And there is nothing better than having rest for your soul. Don't be deceived. Temporary happiness and pleasure and the things of this world, they cannot compete with rest for our souls. But make no mistake about it, they were in a tough spot. I mean, I feel for them, very similar to uh, today's culture. They were surrounded by, you know, a pagan culture, and it was hard for them. You know, these pagans, they're worshiping other gods and false gods, and we may not be able to directly relate to that, um, but it's very similar to, you know, having large parties all the time. And being involved in, in some of these things that the world provides that offer temporary pleasure. And I'm sure that they face the same struggles that we face today where the, the culture around them was saying, hey, we're not all that different. You know, you sacrifice to your God, we sacrifice to these gods. We're all human, we all make sacrifices. And they try to normalize sin. But God had made it clear Friendship with the world is enmity with God. Right? We are in the world, but we are not of the world. And he had called his people to be holy, to be separate, set apart for his use and his use only. That he might shine in and through them to a sick and dying world. And in so doing, they would find rest for their souls. So when we do things God's way, he gets the glory and we benefit. Matthew 11:29 it just makes me want to take a deep breath. Where Jesus said, "Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls." Isn't that a sigh of relief? That Jesus offers rest for our souls. I'm gonna tag Pastor Jim to come up and bring us home, uh, but just remember that God loves you. He does, and he wants things to be made right. He wants the reconciliation, but we have to do it his way. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Russell. Thank you for that introduction, too, but old school is the best way. <laughs> Didn't know you liked me that much. Let me, hold on a second. Let me turn on my tablet. <laughs> yeah, there you go. It's on. 
Well, I get, <laughs> I get the privilege of uh, bringing the subject of uh, disobedience. And if you wonder uh, how I got tagged with that subject, um, Pastor Darius and Pastor Russell came up to me and said, hey, you know, Pastor Jim, we heard your message two weeks ago and realized that you've mastered disobedience. So why don't you speak on that? Actually, I'm just kidding. They didn't say that at all. I did. I do have it down. Um, we're in, in, in Jeremiah chapter 6 uh, in verses 16 and 17, and I do have the, the privilege of bringing the act of disobedience. And uh, when you're talking about finding rest for your souls, and I love the way Pastor Russell ended that because I was good to go at that point. Uh, but now we come to the point of disobedience, and I'm tagged with these two last lines in verses six, uh, 16 and 17. I'm going to reread those. It says, Thus says the Lord, stand in the ways and see. And ask for the old paths where the where the old paths where the good way is, and walk in it, and then you'll find rest for your souls. And then there's this butt clause here, which is not a good one. When it doesn't have but God, we know there's something wrong here. It says, "But they said we will not walk in it." Also, I said, "Watchmen over you, saying, listen to the sound of the trumpet," but they said, "We will not listen." You know, there's a beautiful sequence of events as we just saw Pastor Darius and Pastor Russell bring the stand and the ask and walk, and that's where you find rest for your souls. But the problem that we have here in this passage here is that they just flat out said, no, we're not doing it. We're not going to listen. We don't, we don't care. And I think about that, and I, how many of you ever had your child tell you no? Aren't they adorable, you know? You just want to squeeze those cheeks with those or both your fists, I mean your hands, you know? Just give them a holy hug, and you just want to just tell them how cute they are. Oh, I just love you through this season of life. But that's not the way we respond, right? Your blood just boils, and it just that one little word, no, you know, and your blood boils. But you, what do you do? You give them prompts, right? You give them direction. You give them instruction, and sometimes consequences. And you hope and expect them to walk in that that instruction that you give them. And why? Because you know what's at the end. You don't want them to repeat that, right? Because you know the consequences can get worse. And as believers, as we, you know, as, as Pastor Russell just said, we, you know, get that prompt from Jesus, you know, come to me. And most of you, I'm sure, have said yes to Jesus. And you have that rest for your souls. But the problem is, as we go along in life, sometimes we can get a little disobedient, a little off track here. And the consequences uh, are, can be severe, and sometimes they can be not so severe, and a classic example of that is Jonah. You all know the story of Jonah, right? Great story. I mean, I love that book because it really is a love, a love book, a love story uh, about God's mercy and his love for not only Jonah but for the, uh, the people of Nineveh. And the Lord gave Jonah a command. He says, you know, I want you to go to Nineveh, that great city, and I want you to pronounce judgment on them because of the wickedness of them. And Jonah, in his faithfulness, said, okay, Lord, I got your orders. I'm, I'm, I'm there, Right? No, he said, I'm going the other direction. I don't want to do this. He basically said, no, I'm turning my back on you, God, and I'm running away. I'm going to Tennessee. No, I'm just kidding, not Tennessee. <laughs> just kidding. Kind of. He went the opposite direction. He was just totally disobedient. And he paid the price, right? We know what happened, the consequences of that was, and not pretty. 
But in chapter 6 of Jeremiah, I love this just chapter and these verses that we picked out here. The application is really good for us because like Pastor Darius just talked about, you know, we look at these people of Israel and we think, God, what's wrong with them? You know, why are they so disobedient? But we're not any different, you know. We can be stubborn at times as well. We can say no to God. And how many of you have ever said no to God? That's okay. You don't have to answer that right now. But in this passage, the Lord gives instruction, and throughout this book, I mean, even though it's a, a gloom and doom book, he always gave them a way out, or just attempted to anyway, and gave them uh, instruction, and gave them the, the time to repent, uh, but they didn't. And he does the same thing for us, and actually does much more for us. He's given us his Holy Spirit. Jesus said that the Spirit would just lead us into all truth. And he's also given us his word. I love the way the psalmist says, he said, your word is a lamp unto my feet a light into my path. I mean, it does. It gives us direction. He's given us instruction. He's given us uh, conviction. He's given us all these things, and he's faithfully leading us down this path, but sometimes like sheep, and we tend to go astray at times, don't we? Or sometimes we just refuse, and we just say no, because we don't want to face what's ahead of us. Let me ask you this question. Is there any part of your life right now which you are disobeying God? And I can tell you from experience that God is very, very faithful uh, when it comes to disobedience. He has a way of just justifying his, his consequences for us and bringing us back. And it's up to us to be listening to that. You know, in this passage here, he's justified and is perfect in his judgment when you read Jeremiah. But he's also justified and perfect in his discipline and correction to us. And I want you to turn to... Uh, Hebrews chapter 12 real quick, and we'll put it up on the screen as well, because his chastening always comes from a heart of love. And I'm going to begin in verse 5, and it says, Have you forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons? My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons, as, as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which you all become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the father of spirits and live? For they indeed, for a few days, chastened us, as seemed best to them. But, for our prop, but he did it for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening seems joyful for the present, but painful. Can I get an amen? Yeah. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields a peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. You know, there's some great nuggets in this little passage here in Hebrews. Um, but really, why does God discipline us? It's simple, right? Because he loves us. That's the proverb that he quotes in, in Proverbs chapter 3. Whom the Lord loves, he chastens. But did you notice that in verses 5 and 7, how he loves us, how deep he loves us? I mean, Scott even talked about that in his prayer, the depths of God love as a child. He says, he speaks to you as sons. He deals with you as sons. That word son can be translated child, and maybe some of your versions of your Bible even say that. It's an intimate relationship that he has with us as a children, as a child. He looks at you, ladies, as his baby girl. It doesn't matter how old you are, how long you've been walking with him. You still are his baby girl, and you always will be. And men, same for you. 
not as baby girls, but as baby boys. And I know you don't like to be called baby boys, but that's, that's the intimacy that God has with us as his children. That's why he chastens us, and that's, why, and that's how we have our identity in him, because of that. He disciplines us because he knows what's best for us, and he does it for our, our, our benefit. And it says here in verse 11 of Hebrews chapter 12, it says that it's painful discipline. That word painful actually means grievous or heaviness or sorrow. There should be sorrow. Paul talked about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 when he said that for godly sorrow produces repentance. There should be sorrow over our, our, our disobedience to God. But painful discipline doesn't compare for what it produces. If you look at verse 10 in Hebrews chapter 12, it says that he does it that we may become partakers of his holiness. And also in verse 11, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. In other words, through that chastening, he allows us to be a part of his holiness. And he also allows us to be a part of a life and, and the evidence that we hold in, uh, in our lives that we belong to him is through that chastening. And this morning, I just want to leave you with this one question. And I just asked you a little while ago. Now, most of us on here, I, I believe, have found rest for our souls. But again, sometimes we can run amok and run astray. But is there any part of your life right now in which you are disobeying God? And if so, I want to leave you just with four quick points as we close to help you get on track if you are being disobedient in a certain era of your life. Number one is confession. First John 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And as you're praying and asking forgiveness, ask God to expose the things in your life that you need to be obedient in, in with him. Because a lot of times we can, like Pastor Darius pointed out, we can just get overwhelmed with life and things and get busy and ignore his prompting. Number two, separate yourselves from areas of weakness. Again, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Sometimes we have to flee from these things because we are so weak in these areas. Number three, pray for wisdom. Ask God for wisdom. James chapter 1, verse 5 says that if you lack it, ask God and he'll give it liberally without reproach. and It will be given to us. And lastly, number four, a readiness to work. And many times that we know that God wants to do a work in us, we pray and ask and we just lay there and say, okay, God, do it. No, we sometimes have to do our part and we have to work Again, in Hebrews chapter 12, he ends that section in verses 12 and 13. He says, therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. This is actually a, a marching order. This is supposed to be read to, um, to the military or even a coach would probably speak this way. Remember the old days where the coach just yelled at you and say, hey, you know, you get hurt. Oh, put some dirt on it. You know, get up, go. This is what it's talking about here. Strengthen your hands. Get up. Get ready to move. Go to work. And in that, seek out accountability if you're struggling. Be faithful in God's word daily in your life. You know, there's a lot more to be said in this passage here. And I want you guys to do me a favor to take these two little verses with you today. And at your breakfast table or lunch table or dinner table, discuss this with your friends and family. And be honest and ask each other the same question. Is there any part of your life where you're being disobedient to God in right now. And pray for each other in that area.